Hey everyone, and welcome to the House Conspiracy Podcast, a show about the house and on the house. I'm Jonathan O'Brien, and I'm the founding creative director at House Conspiracy. Today I'm speaking with Jesse Perrin, a tactile and experience-focused contemporary artist, and also the first person at House Conspiracy curated who's younger than me. It's a different interview from those previous because it's with someone still studying, and that's exciting because she's exciting, and not to mention incredibly talented. Um, Speaking of incredibly talented, that's something I am not... Um, my computer crashed without me noticing mid this podcast, so half the audio is recorded through a backup that Jesse had completely by chance set up. Um, so it's fine. It's not unlistenable. It's in fact very listenable, um, because Jesse's interesting. Um, and the audio does get clearer around halfway. Um, but ultimately this speaks to why I need to get a producer. Um, anyway... Here's some housekeeping. You can uh, subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're on iTunes, if you could give us a rating and a review, that'd be wild. It'll help to get us visible and help getting more people listening to what these artists have to say. Um, You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram, and you can visit our website to see how we can support you. Um, If you want to support us in other ways, you can head to houseconspiracy.org slash donate or slash volunteer, or you can email us at house at houseconspiracy.org. Now, on with the show. Jesse Perrin's studio has changed a fair bit over the residency. For the longest time, the edges of a paint-covered drop sheet poked out from her doorway, and her room was full of yarn of all colours and was the busiest a room has ever been at House Conspiracy, at least since renovations. Um, But Jesse works, and she started uni again recently, and she's still undertaking her residency with gusto. She's in the space a lot, and she's always knitting and purling and knitting and purling and knitting and purling, and one afternoon she even tried to teach me, as is referenced in this interview, though to very little avail. It was a Friday Arvo, and I was putting off spreadsheets. Turns out I'm much better at spreadsheets. Anyway, the key thing about having someone so tactile and bright and focused on making such happy work within the house conspiracy space is that she sort of just brings people together. Just about every resident or member of the HC team has in some way pitched into Jesse's work because the form is accessible and easily made communal, and it's enjoyable. And Jesse is nice to us about it, even if we do suck. And here's what I've learned most importantly, is that a beer and some knitting needles is as good a Friday night as any. Now, here's Jesse Perrin. Um, yes. You made one of your pieces in your application is just like launched straight into it. Um, it's hairbrushed, and you just said it took a long time. Could talk forever. What was the process there, and sort of? Oh, so I um I collected my hair over a period of maybe three four months. I used to have really long hair, like down to my hips, um, which I actually felt really cool to work. Um, I, yeah, I collected my hair from my hairbrush for three or four months and just sewed each individual strand to the hairbrush, into the hairbrush, and hmm. thus the work came about. So, um, why, why the durational stuff? Why, why, why the duration there? Like, why not just go purchase hair? It's like, what, what is it that makes it significant about the time? Or is it, is it about time? Is it about it being attached to you and an expression of you? It's, it's more being an expression for me, I suppose, and it's more like the texture, I suppose, like materiality is like a definite focus in my practice, sure, 
Um, yeah, and I suppose it's just that element of discomfort that viewers get when they actually look at the work. And it's mm. like, hang on, there's something off about that, but it works. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, and it, and it does it does work because it is <laughs> and it's creepy. Um, Hey, so you've, you've been here for a couple of weeks and you're working on a piece called Euphoric Hue, yeah? Yeah. Um, what's, the process, what's the process of being in the house been like for you? Um, it's been really good, like, as opposed to working at home in my makeshift studio. I've got, like, my own private space, so I can really just have everything everywhere. What's, what's your studio at home like? Um, it's pretty much because I share a house with um, for other people, so it's basically Um, 
everything's just taken too seriously. Like, it's just really here into that stereotype where, um, I suppose, contemporary art has to have meaning behind it. Everyone's always looking for this political response or this really, like, intense argument. Whereas I want to, like, step back from that. So Euphoric Cues are really benevolent sort of work. It, it appeals to people's emotions. So really, if you look at the work and it makes you feel happy, I've achieved my goal. Mm. There's nothing on the line. It's literally like, if you feel happy, great, I'm happy. So you're an experientialist? Yes. So I want to create experience scapes so people can experience my work as it is, not no like in depth meaning or anything like that. Nothing behind it. Be happy, just enjoy it. Just so it's there. <laughs> yeah. Like a happy harmony current. Um, <laughs> Hey, uh, you just said the word experience scape. Is that a word that you made up or is there an etymology there? Uh, well, I'm actually, because I'm still at uni, so um, in one of our subjects, we're learning about experience scapes and like how in contemporary art, a lot of artists strive to appeal to viewers' experience as opposed to these, I suppose, like we're trying to take away from the meaning, but there's always still like this underlying meaning, but there's still like appealing to experience. Sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Doing, doing both at once and yeah. having the experience be the meaning. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So it's kind of playing on how people are paying for experience. Mm. I just want people to experience my work though. Like, better. No commodity, just enjoy it. Just enjoy the art. Like, have a nice time with yes. Jesse Perrin. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but yeah, you know, you're working with um, happiness in this yeah. work, but you were mentioning uh, that hairbrush made people uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, so you're not primarily focused on happiness. Why happiness this time around? I don't know. I suppose it's just this day and age, like, like last year we had a lot of great people just die and like everything the world just became a depressing place. So oh, I was like, you know what? Let's, let's forget about that. You know, let's move on to something happy. So, yeah, and like with the whole Trump election as well, that's kind of a bit of a, you know, dark. Thing to happen. <laughs> so, so you're focusing on happiness now, maybe yes, because you think that's an experience that's lacking, or that's yeah, important? for sure at the moment, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, um, do you often find yourself like, are you are you any political artist? Do you think that art is inherently political? What do you think the role of politics in art is? I suppose it's to raise an awareness to a degree, but. Again, it, it is overkill, I find. Because everything is trying to appeal to something political and it just it gets old and people are just tired of trying to understand things that they can't and like it's opinionated so they're trying to understand an opinion as well in something that's really, really abstract and I don't know, it just like by all means my work is open to interpretation, like interpret it how you will, but I'm just you know there's <laughs> nothing that it's just yeah. so. be happy or in the case of other works be whatever yeah. experience is and in mm-hmm. this case it's happiness do you do you subscribe to the idea that all art is political and can you sort of weigh in on that a little bit not all art is political um, there are some artists who attempt to like do what I'm doing but it, it is because like the majority is I find quite political and there's always this underlying meaning it just becomes overly conceptual. Um, but no, there are for sure artists out there. Like, I've been looking at Hiromi Tango. Mm-hmm. 
Um, she she's one of my favorite artists for sure. She creates these massive like installations. She gets the community, which she's like exhibiting, involved and um, gets them along to help her make the work as well as find out what their their interests are. And she appeals to like their audience directly. Mm -hmm. um, and it's literally like she'll have a narrative behind it, but it's literally just pure experience. Like, can we get involved? Immerse yourself in this creation that I've made that along with the community and just have a good time. Yeah. Mm. So, so, but isn't isn't that sort of play with community and whatnot? Isn't that isn't there an inherent politics there, or do you think that's separate? I think it's separate. Okay. Yeah. Everything separate. Um, like she's got narratives more so than political stances. Mm. So they tell stories of her and her involvement with the community as opposed to, I don't know, an argument, a political argument, like save the trees or like Donald Trump sucks or like, something <laughs> like that. Like, God, it really does feel like half the stuff you see these days anywhere is is a political narrative. Right? Yeah. Trump. But equally, I guess, I guess, like, um, this interview is about you, so I'm not going to go in, but do you think that having a narrative around community and engaging with community, and ultimately by focusing on that, she's saying that's important? Yeah, for sure. Isn't that, in and of itself, a political argument that almost could be seen as an argument against the sort of divisive politics that we're seeing on both the left and the right at the moment. I know that's super political. Yeah. But, but you, know, you know what I'm saying? Like, is it, yeah, is, is that still political? Or do you see that as a, a different again? Like, what uh, It's a different about? kind of political, I suppose. It's like, it's political in the way that you're saying, for mm -hmm. sure. Um, but it's more playful, if anything. It's not so intense. Like, I'm raising awareness for the amount of animals that are slaughtered each day. Or, mm -hmm. I'm raising awareness for, right. I don't know, like, I don't know, something really, really in-depth, like, it's it's not as intense, it's more relaxed, I find. No, I think I, think I understand what you're saying, you're saying that um, her work is, is different because rather than about engaging with an issue, she's engaging with an experience. Mm. Yeah. And so, even though the experience may be an issue and equally issues may be experienced elsewhere, mm -hmm. there's a difference in the intent? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Huh. Yeah, okay. That's, no, that's really, that's <laughs> really interesting. So, um, you obviously moved through experience a lot and one of the experiences that you did was your performance work, um, which was on title, where you cut off all your hair. Yeah. Um, was that heartbreaking? How did that feel? What was that like? Liberating, actually. Really? Yeah. Um, I'd never cut my hair short before. I'd always had a hair down to my hips. Always had really curly hair. Um, yeah. I, I suppose it was a play on identity, if mm -hmm. anything. So, like, how um, the removal of one's hair can just alter someone's appearance entirely. and. I suppose change then, like, as weird as it sounds, I feel stronger because I just, it was like a leap, like a weight was lifted, like, both physically as well as metaphorically, um, off my shoulders, like, yeah. it, it's a really weird kind of feeling, I don't know, I, it's hard to describe, like, I don't know, it was like starting again, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Did you, did you have that hair 
had your had had your parents always had you have have the long hair, or was it a choice by you? So was it sort of a, uh, it was a shift towards choice by me mostly? Um, yeah, I just never wanted to cut my hair. My parents like were open, like if you want to, you can. It's not we're not going to disown you for it. But yeah. like I don't know, it's, it, it took nineteen years to be like, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to get rid of it. It's it's about time. It's time for a change. It, let's do it. And if I'm going to do it, it's going to go out with a bang. So I'll make it a big concert. Yeah, wonderful. And um, the experience of that. Um, oh, shit. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> <All the> technology. <laughs> None of it's recorded. <laughs> no. Is that, is yeah. that recording? Alright, we'll, um, I'll steal the audio from there. Yeah. And then, um, Um, hey, so anyway, uh, so we're talking about sort of the lifting of the weight of your hair. Mm -hmm. Um, did you weigh it? Yeah, kilo. A kilo? A kilo. Like, not even joking, it was a kilo. So that's a weight loss strategy then? Yeah, just cut your hair off, it fixes everything. Um, and did you find that having different hair impacted your life at all? I don't know, like... It's an abstract no question. No one recognized me. It was weird. Even for the brief bit that I kept it curly, people were just like, something's different. <laughs> like, did you dye your hair? Who are you? Like, I went back home to um, far north Queensland to visit my dad, and I walked through town, and I ran into people that I knew, and I recognized. And I was like, hey. And they're like, yeah. Sorry, I, I don't know who you are. Like, can Whoa. I help you? And I was like, Jesse, from like school, and they'd be like, Oh, that's right. Oh my god, your hair! I didn't notice. Like, couldn't recognize you. It's crazy. It's in- incredible how big a difference it can have. Like, it just purely by removing half of it. <laughs> like, huh. yeah, no one knew me with short hair. Everyone knew me as Jesse with the red curly long hair. So, was that? <clears throat> a bit of a crisis for you? Like, did that affect you at all? Or was it mostly just something you laughed at? Just laughed, chugged it off. I was like, okay, cool. Interesting. Meh. Don't really care. Like, this is me now. So, you know, start yeah. again. Why and not? Not, not, to, not to have this be entirely a, an audio podcast based on your visual appearance. <laughs> um... But uh, are you naturally curly or naturally straight? Naturally curly. Okay. Yeah. Um, I found it a little bit painful when it was curly being short because it started to like turn into a fro, like with the humidity. It would just you could hear yeah. it growing and it was like oh Hear it growing. Yeah, like it just it's like static. Like yeah. It's like, okay, today's gonna be a bad hair day, prepare yourself. <laughs> like, so no, I got it chemically straightened and now I'm letting it grow out again and might start the process again, might cut it off again, might use it in another hairbrush, I don't know yet. Oh yeah? Yeah. All sorts of All adventures sorts of things, you could have. Yep. Um, and um, so I guess shifting away from that, um, that's sort of how art can feed into your life. Have you found, let's let's back up a bit, like, because yeah. you're, you're a girl from far north Queensland who's got long hair and is now doing a finance degree at QUT. With short well, hair. With short <laughs> hair. With short hair. Because uh, change your hair, change your life. Yes. Um, 
what what got you here like have you always been an arts kid what what where, loved it, where'd you come loved from loved it from the get-go my mom was um a painter mm-hmm. and um she had her own studio and i used to just hang out with her all the time painting um don't recall the moment where i didn't have a paintbrush in my hand like i was always painting drawing all the time and yeah mum was just really supportive of it dad got on board started entering local art competitions was winning awards and i was thinking you know what maybe i can make something of this and unfortunately up there they're not heavily like i don't know arts you know people they're just where are you from specifically ah uh, port douglas okay yeah it's more tourist based mm-hmm. and if anything it's commercialized so i wanted to like broaden that like you can go so much further with it and unfortunately they can't really figure that out up there just yet so they didn't offer an arts degree so i thought moving to the city more opportunity um meet different people um more like-minded people start networking i can yeah study art down here yeah and just broaden it from not just painting and drawing i can do whatever i want like and from purely studying at QUT alone um yeah, no, I've learned art is pretty much anything. Mm. Like, it can be anything, and it's just so great. But we were never taught that through school, unfortunately, so... Because mm. QT uh, obviously teaches sort of a more contemporary, conceptual yeah, yeah. art um, sort of teaching. How do, you, how do you find that? Like, And do you know anyone from sort of the other art schools around town? I guess, like, QCA is the only other art school, like um, Queensland College of Arts. Do you find that there's a difference in approaches? What's sort of the biggest things you've learned sort of being at a contemporary art school versus um, traditionalist? The diversity in medium. Mm -hmm. Literally, it can be anything from um, digital work to sculptural work. Sculptural work isn't just clay or like ceramics or anything like that. It's anything. It can be concrete. It can be knitted materials. It can be hair. It can be anything. Um, Painting doesn't just have to be with paint. It's anything you can think of coffee blood like anything it's just so diverse whereas i feel like qca is more like this is the way it's done this traditional way of doing it and this is how it has to be done would that stress you out a little bit i reckon probably just not having like free reign of like whatever material i want it's just you're a painter you paint that's all you do Mm. I don't want to just have to head down the one path. I want that option. Like, at the moment, I'm looking... Or I have um, experimented with paint and yarn. And I make what I call chance paintings. Yeah. So I'll spread the white yarn out and um, just paint just random coloured lines everywhere. No idea what's going to happen when I knit it together. Knit it together. And it's just this weird, staticky kind of pattern. And... Like, the process doesn't really give anything away. Like, just painting on the yarn, you have no idea what's going to happen. And it's just, like, the beauty of just creating this random chance thing. It's, like, a, a weird abstract painting just purely from painting lines on a bit of yarn. Hmm. Yeah. So you, do, you, do you find that a, a lot of your work, and I guess contemporary work in general, um, draws on process in sort of mm-hmm. significant way and um, do you think process um, affects meaning do you think process is relevant to the audience's experience of meaning for sure um, it depends on what it is um, 
but I suppose if they can understand like the time behind it it really can be like awe inspiring I suppose mm. like with Euphoric Hue um, each individual like organic form takes between 10 to 15 minutes to knit for you and stuff and yeah for me <laughs> maybe a little bit longer for you but hey <laughs> it's a start it's a start <laughs> I'm halfway <laughs> through my first one, <laughs> and it's been seven days. Seven days. <laughs> um, Going strong. But anyway, yeah, so, so each one takes uh, 15, 20 minutes. Yeah, um, and God, there's about maybe 400 of them now. So kind of when you like add it all up, it's like, whoa, this work took a ridiculously long time to do. How did one pull this together in such little time? Like, I mean, I'm still pulling it together, but... Hey, I'll get there. So. <laughs> so, so do you find that that awe factor plays into the, especially like experientialist mm, art? For sure. For sure. It would change the mood, I reckon. Um, like, I suppose going in, like I find people who aren't familiar with art, like going in and seeing like this hyper-realistic painting, they don't understand the hours behind it. But when you see something like textual like that, you can be like, oh my God. Knitting. Knitting takes a long time. Look how many of these things there are. Oh, wow, this work would have taken forever to make, as opposed to a painting where it's like, it's a painting. Mm. When, in reality, a hyper-realistic painting of a large scale would have taken about the same length of time as what I'm doing at the moment, yeah. So it's like, like painting is a very, I would say, accessible form, Mm. right? Yeah, for sure. But you're saying sort of that the significance of your textile sort of process of knitting is that it's it's an accessible process. Mm everyone understands the tactileness of it and that affects sort they of how... They have health. some sort of understanding. Yeah. 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 Some, everyone has a grandma who's... Uh, I'll yeah. make you a scarf. Yeah, for sure. And they, they watch the process and they're like, how are you doing that? <laughs> like, it just looks so fiddly. It would take me forever to do that. Whereas with painting, you have to actually either be living with an artist or an artist yourself to really be like, that would have taken forever. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah and it's... it's it's different because I guess like going back to sort of conceptual works that like have a lot of meaning behind them and are very abstract often look like, you know, there's that whole thing. Oh, it's just two dots on a canvas. Yeah, Anyone yeah. could have done that one. And it's like to a, to a degree, blah, blah, blah. We could talk about that forever. And yeah. I'm sure we'd agree. So it wouldn't be a very interesting conversation. <laughs> um, but the actual process of making that work is definitely in terms of the physical process, shorter than whatever yeah. you're doing. Yeah. Like, they might have thought about it for as long as you've spent yeah, it's knitting, got this really in-depth, like, conceptual thing, but... But it's not impressive. No, yeah. It's, yeah, it's not, like, impre- as impressive as a few hundred. Um, like, it's not like, look at the thing that I made. It's more like, look at the thing I was thinking, so... Yeah, and how yeah. I expressed it. Yeah. Right, right. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, sure. So that's, um... Yeah, process. Process. Process work. Yeah, which is one of the things that's um, obviously been super interesting about this process, uh, this project, is watching you yeah. guys come in and do your processes. And, and they're all so diverse. And so diverse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, having at the showcases, I think it worked really well at Open House 1, having people's processes mm. around the space. So I'm hoping that there'll be something of that yeah. again this time around. Mm-hmm. Um, but... 
Yeah, your open house is coming up on this Friday, March yep. 17th. Mm-hmm. And it is called Euphoric Hue. Euphoric Hue. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Euphoric Hue. <laughs> <laughs> yes. As Lewis will have it. <laughs> as, as, as Lewis Holmes, our, um, a logistics director who can't read. Um, or tries to. <laughs> he, he only reads legalese. Um, hey, thanks for the chat, Jesse. No problem. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the House Conspiracy podcast recorded at House Conspiracy. If you have feedback or you want to say hi or if there's something you'd like to see us do, you can email us at house at houseconspiracy.org and you can email me directly about ideas for future podcasts at jonathan at houseconspiracy.org. You can also support us by becoming a member or by donating to us at houseconspiracy.org slash donate. See you next time.